you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. What's up, everybody? This is Peter Schrager. You're listening to The Season with Peter Schrager. We're doing this on a Tuesday morning, very unique weekend where you had uh, two wildcard rounds on Saturday, two wildcard round games on Sunday, and then two wildcard rounds on Monday. We're fresh on the air right now on Tuesday morning. And the Eagles season ended in complete disarray. This was a team that was 10-1 and one at one point, and they fired their defensive coordinator. Well, let's be honest. They removed him from play-calling duties, which in so many words means get out of the chair and you're being removed and replaced. That's a team that uh, all season long we had talked about Super Bowl expectations, the weight of those expectations, the local media, all of these things that were were hanging in the in the atmosphere, and yet they were winning early on, and they were resilient early on. I could tell you on this podcast the amount of joy that people take, fans, some people in the league, of seeing things end this way for that Philly team is almost unseemly and they're not they're not villains individually. I don't think anyone looks at Jalen Hurts and looks at him as a villain or anyone looks at the recently retired Jason Kelsey as like a villain. I don't think anyone looks at Nick Sirianni and is like I don't like him. But there's a certain bravado about that Eagles team and maybe it does start with Sirianni when he's mean mugging the cameras during the Giants wild card game or yeah, divisional round game last year or after the Kansas City win when he's in the tunnel and he's got some comments for fans and it was captured on film. Maybe it's because of Big Dom and you see this big guy and you see Ted Rath, who's their athletic trainer, who's going wild on the sidelines. Maybe it's because of the way everyone responded to their draft where you know, they drafted Jalen Carter and they drafted Nolan Smith and they got Keely Ringo and they traded for DeAndre Swift and everyone just said, well, the Eagles dominated the draft, A+. plus." Everyone else is is in second place and beyond. And then you have a day earlier, the Cowboys lost, which if you talk about, sh- how are we saying it? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude, yeah. Schadenfreude. If you want to talk about Schadenfreude, how about the Cowboys losing? They were down 27 to nothing against the Packers on Sunday, and you would think it was a party online with fans and Cowboys haters and then media members going just in on it. And then there's questions of everything there. That one goes from, okay, well, is Mike McCarthy ever going to get past a divisional round, let alone, let alone the wild card? If they win 12 games every year, but they can't win playoff games, like, is this the guy to coach the team? And then we had a really good conversation on Good Morning Football. I think it was pretty rational and sensible and do you pay Dak Prescott $60 million? Because that's going to be the going rate. He's going into the final year of his contract. Traditionally, quarterbacks get paid before the final year. You don't want to go into the season as a pure free agent and have that looming. And Dak has earned it every step of the way this regular season. And then the playoffs come. And for the third straight year, in the biggest moment, Dak isn't there or doesn't have the game. And in this case, it wasn't just on Dak. This was a colossal failure. And 
it, it could go from the defensive side of the ball to the play calling to Dak throwing some terrible interceptions in this game that really hurt them. The Eagles and the Cowboys are out of the playoffs and we're not even to the divisional round. These were the two teams we talked about all season long, the powers of the NFC East. Who's going to take on the 49ers in the NFC Championship game? It's going to be one of these two teams. They're both out. And instead you have this upstart, really fun, really young Packers team with a quarterback who looks as good as anybody in the league in Jordan Love. And then you got this Buccaneers team that no one thought anything of. They rebuilt themselves on the fly, cap hell, uh, Brady retires, and they get further than they did last year with Tom Brady under center. And you throw in the Lions as your your third other team, and they've got one of the coolest stories in sports. So I look at both Dallas and Philadelphia as major, major disappointments. I look at what we're going to be talking about over the entire offseason. They have big decisions to make. Do you bring back McCarthy? That's number one. Two, do you bring back Sirianni? Three, do you bring back Dak at $60 million with a major contract and the press conference and the whole thing, or do you ride this out a little bit? And then with the Eagles side of it, like, what do we do with that entire situation? Because Kelsey's the first one to leave. It might be Brandon Graham. It might be Fletcher Cox. You might have a big roster turnover. And I'll be honest, Aaron, all those picks that we praised, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Nolan Smith, Keely Ringo. I didn't see them down the stretch. They slowed down this <laughs> season. They started so hot. And yeah, those rookies, like they they weren't as big of a contributor as we got later into the season and then into, into the playoffs. Yeah. But Aaron, I do want to talk about the Detroit Lions real quick. I feel like we were riding this train well before everybody else. Last year, I was kind of on it as they finished the season strong and then over the offseason, we had Brad Holmes on the podcast, the general manager. And I and I was like, I am so into this dude. I am so into his conviction. He told us his story, which if you guys haven't heard it, we pumped it to the top of the feed earlier this week on the podcast. Brad Holmes was working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car uh, at the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. He then got an opportunity to be a PR intern with the Atlanta Hawks. Going from the Atlanta Hawks, he jumped to the St. Louis Rams to be a PR uh, uh, entry-level job, eventually made the move to the front office, built up a career in St. Louis and then Los Angeles, and then got the job as the Detroit Lions GM two years ago. Comes in, immediately makes a trade for Jared Goff that everyone thought Goff was kind of like a throw-in, but Brad Holmes made a point to say, no, 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 you're not a throw-in. Like, I want you to be our quarterback because he was with them in Los Angeles and with them in St. Louis. And he knew, uh, you know, he knew. Now, I don't know uh, if Holmes ever knew it could come to this, but it has. And you add in the hiring of Dan Campbell, and then you look at the way that front office has built itself and kind of, you know, gone about their business. It's so, you know, it is really inside the weeds, but like we could talk about the football all day long. It's been great. But Holmes gets there, Campbell gets there, but they weren't the first two brought in. So, Sheila Hamp Ford is is the the real owner, the managing owner. She's got Rod Wood, who is the president of the Lions, who's been the president of the Lions for a long time. What they felt was necessary was to bring in some actual culture people, 
more so than like, we need the hardcore football person. And no one screamed culture more to them than Chris Spielman. Now, Spielman does not do media. Spielman does not get out there and is not out in the open. But what's crazy is that Chris Spielman, who might be the greatest Lions linebacker of all time, was my on-air partner for three seasons with the NFL on Fox. And what's crazy is that Chris is one of the most eloquent, passionate, and best communicators of football, but they kind of keep him under wraps or he does it by design. And his job is a bit undefined there, but he's there. And he was very integral in the hiring of Dan Campbell. And when he got there, it was him, it was the owner, it was Rod Wood, and then it was a gentleman named Mike Disner. Google Mike Disner real quick if you want a resume. Now, he's not a familiar face. He's not a familiar name. But Michael Disner worked at the league in their management council group for a while. Then he went to the Patriots and was super successful there. Then he went to the Arizona Cardinals. And with the Arizona Cardinals, he was number two to Steve Kime. Now, the Arizona Cardinals don't have 40 guys in their front office. The Arizona Cardinals is a couple people, scouts, salary cap guy, uh, a few different people who work on the grounds there. And like Disney wore all hats with Arizona. So while in Arizona, he really rose to the top, but he's a Michigan guy. He's from, I want to say Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. I might be wrong on the town. It might be Arbor Hills, might be one of those. And when that Lions opportunity came about, he jumped and left. So you now have Disner and Spielman, one of them who is born and raised Michigan and came back because it's his hometown team. The other one is a all-time linebacker who had seen the NFL firsthand going stadium to stadium over the last five years, calling NFL games on Fox. And then you have an owner and a president who had been there and been through different hires that saw what worked and what didn't work. You take those four you bring in Brad Holmes as your general manager, and then you hire Dan Campbell, who, oh, by the way, there wasn't a long list of teams looking to hire Dan Campbell, who was the tight ends coach from the New Orleans Saints. Campbell comes in, and he brings in this cast of characters of former pros. Look at that coaching staff. It's Mark Brunel. It's Aaron Glenn. It's one former player after another, and I think it's a pretty cool mix of what they've done. You pair that with one of the best draft classes in all the football they got this year. A former number one overall pick who's been kicked to the curb and discarded in Jared Goff. And then just tons of late round talent that have delivered, whether it be Amon Ross St. Brown or Elam McNeil, all these guys who have been really good. And oh yeah, they killed it in the free agency game too. Um, I love the way Detroit was built. I love the people behind it. I love that they did it the right way. And I love that these fans can truly appreciate this moment. Uh, if I'm negative on where the Eagles and Cowboys are and I'm down on them, I am so high on where the Detroit Lions are. I felt like they built this from the ground up and the culture was the most important piece. Uh, kudos to Lions fans. This is truly an amazing ride and you deserve every moment of it. Enjoy a second, second home playoff game in the 2023 playoffs. I'd like to say no one saw it coming, but Aaron. I did. <laughs> even when even when Gibbs started the season slow, you were still on it. You were saying Patience. Gibbs offensive. Remember he didn't touch it the first oh half? Yeah. Of like, oh. the, of like the first game and everyone's Ooh. killing me on on Twitter. Like, well, I drafted Gibbs in my fantasy. I think Gibbs finished up fine. Thousand yards from scrimmage and ten touchdowns. If you took him in the fantasy draft in the second round, he was well worth it. Yeah. Uh, I think I got him in like the third round or something. And I was very upset in the beginning of the year. <laughs> Gibbs Laporta. Laporta. 
God. Brian Branch, Jack Campbell, an inside linebacker. Awesome. Like, I really like the Lions. They're favored by a lot of points against the Bucs. Um, they're likely going to take care of business. I don't see them falling on their faces. Not now. Not the way this thing is riding and rolling. Um, I do think if if we didn't have Puka this year, Laporta's year would have felt more momentous right. because he had such he broke all the records for a rookie tight end. Rookie tight ends. Yeah, but, I think I think he tied Gronk for second most touchdowns for a mm. rookie tight end. Number one was Mike Ditka. We showed, right, right. We showed that graphic, which is like from 1961. Um, Laporta's story is great. The guy was hurt, was questionable, doubtful. Then fourth and one, who's scoring the touchdown in the big playoff game? It's Sam Laporta. Uh, I look. There's the, the four remaining NFC quarterbacks right now. Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Brock Purdy, and Jordan Love. If I mean, you can't write this stuff. You can't. You can't write this stuff. All right. As we swing from playoffs, I want to go through sort of the stuff in my notebook right now. This is a fascinating time in football. As we're listening, it's we're recording this on a Tuesday morning. It'll post probably later Tuesday afternoon. Things can change. So Belichick is now... <laughs> It's so funny. There was a tweet last night from the Falcons that said, we have interviewed Bill Belichick <laughs> for our vacant coaching. And I'm like, is that is that how it went down? Or is Belichick interviewing you? It, it, it It's almost like it's this celestial being. Like, all right, I'm picturing Belichick with a resume, like, you know, handing it to <laughs> Arthur Blank and Rich McKay and Terry Fontenot and saying, like, here's what I've done. Tell us um, a time that you had to work from adversity, Bill. <laughs> tell us a time where you were down three scores or <laughs> yeah. more in a big moment and how that affected your team versus the opponent. Um is Belichick going to interview elsewhere? Is Belichick does Belichick have to interview? Like that one is wild. Do, so there's been a lot of talk about Dallas. Like to empty the notebook, if you will, he's got a really good relationship with Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones because Belichick's been going to owners' meetings for 40 years and is a very, you know, engaged individual when it comes to voices in the league as far as rules go, committee meetings, all that stuff. Belichick's very, very much involved. I said on Bill Simmons's podcast last week that I don't think Jerry would do that to Kraft because it's like there is honor amongst thieves, if you will. And Jerry and Kraft are lead and then everybody, including people in the league who heard that, including Bill Simmons, who was the co-host or was hosted of that podcast and interviewed me, was like, was like, get the hell out of here. What are you talking about? Jerry Jones wants one thing and one thing only. He wants to win. And Bill's whole take was like, Rich guys don't care about stuff like that. Rich guys want the biggest yacht. They want the biggest Super Bowl ring. They want all that stuff. The other part of it is just Jerry's dedication to winning. So maybe I was a little bit too Pollyanna and a little too wide-eyed saying like, I don't think Jerry would do that to Kraft. I don't think Jerry's going to pluck off Belichick and then do it. Yeah, I was probably wrong on that. We'll see if Jerry gets rid of McCarthy and if that's the pick. I also think Vrabel could be a really good, interesting uh, just, you know, hire in Dallas. So keep an eye on that. Last night, now we're fresh. All the Eagles fans are tweeting me. Everyone's texting me. Could the Eagles get Belichick? I, I don't know. Like that, that, that's a lot. And like that would probably mean there's a Howie Roseman Belichick deal as far as the roster goes. Howie is really good at managing that roster. I don't know if Howie's looking to then have Belichick in the room as a voice. That would be interesting. And then you go to any of these vacant jobs, and Belichick's name comes up. But I think the more interesting thing is that Chargers situation. Not for Belichick so much. Harbaugh. He interviewed with them all day 
on Monday. Curious to hear how it went. I'm sure I'll hear from the Chargers folks at some point, or we'll hear from Belichick's side. But I said when Pete Carroll was was kind of dismissed or stepped away from Seattle that Pete Carroll makes the most sense for the Chargers. Pete Carroll is Southern California. Pete Carroll has won at USC. Pete Carroll walks in there. You have a local legend, and there's this great heartwarming story. Pete Carroll still wants to coach, and I think that moves the needle in that market in Orange County, which where they're going to be opening a beautiful new facility, far more than Harbaugh, who although will you know bring what he brings and that's a national title and all that stuff. I don't know if there's that connection to that market. Either way, both make a lot of sense, whether it's Harbaugh or Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll has not been listed as a guy who's interviewing for that job yet. I also am curious to see who the GM is there and and how those, those pieces work. Because if Harbaugh comes in, I think Harbaugh comes in with all his guys on offense, the Greg Roman types, if he's available to do so, his front office guys, his he's got a whole thing, Harbaugh, he comes in. Now remember, Harbaugh interviewed twice with the Broncos, he interviewed with the Vikings two years ago when they gave it to O'Connell, those were not the right fits. Is this the right fit? Will you say Justin Herbert, of course, and what Harbaugh does is he wins right away. He did it at the University of San Diego, which is your real fit there, I guess, even though San Diego and Los Angeles Chargers are not quite necessarily tied together in any way, especially since the Chargers moved. Um, he did it at Stanford. He did it at the 49ers, of course. And then, of course, he did it at the Colts or, or at the uh, at Michigan. I said the Colts. That's where he played as a player and turned them around. So Harbaugh to to Chargers would make sense, of course, but I kind of like that Pete Carroll wild card a little bit more. And just to see if Pete's going to go somewhere else, that would be the place. Other vacancies. Carolina's currently interviewing GM candidates um, and they're going to be meeting with head coaches throughout this thing. They've got to kind of do the, who do we hire first deal, head coach or GM. Uh, I'm told those interviews are going on in Carolina as we speak. David Tepper has been funneling through different general manager candidates and they've been uh, both in person and on remote. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the structure of that front office is as they fired their general manager, Scott Fitterer. But Dan Morgan, former University of Miami player, former linebacker, is still technically employed by the Panthers. And I'm told Tepper uh, thinks very fondly of him as, as a personnel guy and also as a voice in the building. So it'll be interesting to see if it's someone comes in and works with Dan Morgan, someone comes in and brings their own people, or if it's just Dan Morgan outright. So that's your Carolina side. Atlanta, you heard about Belichick. They're also interviewing others. Kevin Demoff, the president of the Rams, made a great case for Raheem Morris last week, who's a defensive coordinator of the Rams. On our podcast, uh, I'm told that made the rounds. If you saw Aaron Jalen Ramsey tweeted out the clip. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, Lon nice. London Fletcher tweeted out the clip, who played for Raheem in Washington. Uh, I believe Aaron, not Aaron Donald. No, Andrew Whitworth oh. tweeted out the clip. So. You had your 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 people who've played for Raheem come out and speak, and those are the players' side saying, "Yeah, this is the guy." You also have Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, and you have the president of the Rams. Like, yeah. I feel like he deserves a shot. So he's he's being rumored to go uh, to Atlanta, uh, Tennessee, I believe, is a possibility there. And I think Raheem also is going to interview for that Chargers job. So someone watch our Tennessee is interesting. They blew out Vrabel, Coach of the Year, the whole thing. It's like who are they bringing in? Curious to see as, you know, these coaches and these owners, a lot of times what they do is they'll go from one big swing to another. They'll go the polar opposite. I remember the Jets did this twice. It was like 
they had Herm Edwards, who was full of bluster in the situation. And then like from him, they went to Eric Mancini, who was like not the big personality, was more low-key. Then they went to Rex Ryan, who was huge personality, and then to Todd Bowles, who was not and like was more low-key. I think it dep- depends on the building, but like from what I gather, the fit between the owner, the what she envisions with how voices should be uh, heard, and then what Vrabel had going on where it was kind of like his way there, I think you're going to look at a different type of head coach where it might not be as established a head coach, or it might be somebody who's a younger head coach in his first year or somebody who's just willing to, you know, kind of take a, an equal share with the GM or an equal share with the owner and not be as loud a voice in the room or as powerful a voice in the room. We're hitting all these different teams. And I still think there might be some more. Like I, I, I don't know about Dallas. I don't know about new Orleans. I know they've, they, those guys are still there, but it's okay. I don't know about Philadelphia. Sirianni's there, but I could, that they, they fired Doug Peterson two years after winning a Super Bowl. Like, these these coaching hires are not necessarily always done, and these coaching firings are not always necessarily done on the Monday after a game or the Tuesday after a game. Sometimes they take some time and there's some conversations. I will say this, the Patriots, pretty seamless on their situation. I, I don't know about the, the, the way the rules in that contract were written, but they didn't go through the interview process at all. They were able to hire Gerard Mayo. Now, Gerard Mayo is a person of color, so it's like the Rooney rule in itself is kind of satisfied by that. So you're not going to find anyone raising their hand about that. But if the point of the accelerator program that the league does every year, bringing in so many different minority candidates to meet with the owners is to get a chance to to interact and then ultimately get in the interview rooms, I think it would have been beneficial for the league and for some other coaches to have the opportunity to at least interview for the job. Um, that obviously is not a matter of uh, of significance as they've already moved on. They have the press conference Wednesday for Gerard Mayo. But I did say, you know, if wouldn't that have been cool for everyone to interview with the Crafts or at the very least get an opportunity to meet another owner? But it didn't happen. I mean, you've talked on some of the other interviews, like we talked about the importance of Mike McDaniel getting some of these interviews early on and like testing what his, I hate to say performance, but like what his performance under pressure of a, big head coaching interview would be like. So I totally understand like how that that's, there are a ton of openings, but that's one less opening that could be, I don't know, eight people interviewing. Yeah. It's more like, okay, the Patriots are in their right to say, well, we put this in this guy's contract. He's a person of color. He, we satisfied the Rooney rule. And like, we have to get started. Like we know our guy. Why would we waste anyone's time from the big picture? My only thing was like, all right, so Mike McDaniel said he got you know the opportunity to to interview for jobs or he wanted to interview for jobs, like and just a chance to get in that room, and it helped him immensely. Um, it would have been cool to maybe have some guys who haven't had the chance to interview for jobs meet with a team and go through the process. But again, this is really deep in the weeds stuff right there. Uh, as for this podcast, I thought there would be no person better to preview Packers 49ers than a guy who is the younger sibling of one of the head coaches and a disciple of the others. You can't make this up. Mike LaFleur, who, by the way, is the current offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams and the guy who helped unleash Puka Nakua and Kieran Williams and what the Rams did down the stretch, is the younger brother of Matt LaFleur, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. He is also a longtime coach under Kyle Shanahan when he was in San Francisco. Well, who's playing this weekend? Packers, 49ers. 
I love Mike. I think Mike is a great young coach in his own right. He went from uh, the 49ers, came with the Robert Solid of the Jets, was the Jets offensive coordinator for a couple of years, gets let go there and quickly uh, goes to Los Angeles, where not only does he put a stamp on what a Michael LaFleur offense could look like, I think he shut some people up in the New York area when they saw what was going on uh, with that Rams offense this year. Uh, Mike's a great dude, and I'm uh, about to bring him on. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, if you listen to this podcast, you listen to it because we have the best guests who are coaches, GMs, decision makers, and also uh, some of the most relevant ones. I could not have imagined a more appropriate guest for this week, either A, because of the performance his offense put on this year in Los Angeles or be his connection to the two head coaches of uh, one of the divisional round games. With no further ado, it's the offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams, Mr. Mike LaFleur. Mike, what's up, man? What's up, Peter? Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, no doubt. Look, I remember being on the sidelines at the Super Bowl, and it was Chiefs versus 49ers, and there's a little rope there, and your brother Matt had either just been hired by Green Bay or maybe a week earlier had gotten the job, and he's sitting behind a rope, and he's like, hey, Shrags, Shrags, and I'm sitting there with a credential because I'm one of these obnoxious media guys that just walks around like I belong on the field, and he's like, what's up, dude? And like, you came over to the sideline, and there was this awesome hug before the game, because you were an assistant with the 49ers coaching in the Super Bowl. And there's Matt LaFleur, the recently hired coach of the Packers. And now it comes full circle where the 49ers are back in a big game, divisional round, and your brother is still the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Where are you going to be for this game? And when you see LaFleur versus 49ers and you have nothing to do with it, what's your reaction? <laughs> It's wild. You know, it seems like the Packers and, and Niners have played a lot of games over the last five years. Right. And, uh, was a part of a lot of those and obviously not anymore. So, uh, trying to figure it all out. We are going to shoot up there. Uh, my wife and I, um, uh, I know my parents are going to, uh, they're actually, they're going to fly over there. Bree and the boys are going to fly down here for a night for whatever reason. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll end up shooting, we'll end up shooting up there on, uh, on Friday. So trying to figure all that out. I mean, all this happens so quickly. We, you know, didn't plan on uh, not being a part of, you know, this upcoming weekend's game. So we'll figure it all out, but we'll be up there to support him for sure. We're going to talk that game in a second, but can we, can you humor me a little bit on just some Rams talk as we put a bow on what was an amazing, unexpected season that maybe you might say, well, unexpected to you, but very expected to us. You get the job um, after things end in New York. You get the job in Los Angeles. McVay's texting me like, I really like this Michael Floor. Obviously, he knows your brother real well and he knows you. And he's like, I really think things are going to be special. And I'm kind of rolling my eyes like, no, I like Mike too. But with what? With what weapons? And then we have this offensive explosion. And I'm going to mention two guys and I want you to hit on both of them. When did you know Puka Nakua was going to have the greatest rookie season from a wide receiver that we've seen in years? 
Yeah, I mean, to sit here and say that uh, when we drafted him and then even as well as he was doing in OTAs and training camp to, to have the statistical year he had, it'd be lying to you. But you did know early on that, one, this kid is extremely mature. Two, he's extremely tough. That's That was evident from all his film, obviously, at BYU. Um, and he just he fit into this culture right away. He's 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 a man. And uh, what what a cool resource he had in Cooper Cup to kind of lean on to, to get him up to speed. Obviously, when you have Matthew Stafford as your quarterback, you know, you want to be in the right spot at the right time. And he understood that. And that's part of his maturity. So he um, he stood out right away. OTAs stood out when he put the pads on, probably even more so once we got the training camp. And, you know, it happened right away. He had a great game against Seattle. He ended up having 20 targets in week two versus the Niners, <laughs> which was crazy, Cut, catching 15 of them, you know, and he just kind of and it never stopped. And, um, you know, he's uh, he's a dude you root for, too, because he's just such a likable guy. And uh, when he puts those pads on, he, he plays the game the right way. Yeah, we talk about that rookie wall all the time. Like it felt like it never came for Nakua and he saved his best for last. He had the most yards for a rookie receiver in a playoff game in the history of the sport on Sunday night. And it he did it on 10 targets, nine catches. And it's like everyone who's watching at home who's watched him all season is like, yeah, that, that's kind of what we expect from him. Uh, was the game plan going in? Let's feed Puka and let's get him the rock? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's our job to make sure that the best players are, are touching the ball. But but what's what's when our offense is running at its best, it's not about trying to force anyone the ball. You let the you let the the coverage dictate where that ball goes, and you know Matthew does as good as anyone of spreading that ball around, reading the plays out true. Um, you know, and I think that's why you saw a lot of our guys, you know, particularly that back half of the season with Demarcus and, and Higby making his plays like he always has here. Obviously, Kyron both in the run and the pass game. Cooper's always going to be Cooper. Um, you know, so two two. You know, Tutu had a big play. Tutu had a big, big play. And Tutu was making plays earlier in the year and, and um, you know, continued to. So uh, that's when our offense is doing the best. But again, uh, the, the the best players are going to find a way to, to touch the ball. And he did. And yet, you, you know, in the moment, it's like if you had told me in, in August that Ronnie Rivers was going to be getting key plays in this huge play, all these guys stepped up. I really was impressed with the way the offense played. Yeah, no, that's... Um, it's just a credit to those guys. And again, it all, it all starts with number nine. Um, he is, I heard a lot of good things about him when I came in and it, it was almost undersold from people in Detroit, obviously how Sean felt about him. Um, incredible player, incredible quarterback. He's not going anywhere. I won't let him go anywhere for, he, I mean, he's got too much good years uh, ahead of him, uh, but he's, he's even a better person to work with. He is just phenomenal and he's receptive and, uh, you know, you, you wake up enjoying going to work every day because the A, the building is incredible, but B, it, that quarterback is just a, he's a joy to work with. Talk about his toughness for a second. Are you serious? We're talking about an NFL in 2023 where, you know, some people say that the rules have changed and that there's, you know, that the guys aren't as tough as they were. Here's Stafford on Sunday Night Football getting stepped on, getting knocked, getting, you know, his hand is completely severed. There's and like just out there slinging just right back up and keeps going. I thought, I thought in a loss, it was the most heroic performance that we've seen in recent memory. Just, he was awesome. Yeah, he's, that's what he is. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to get knocked down. He's, he's not, uh, he's not Lamar out there running away from, you know, the big guys chasing them in there, but he's going to stand in there with the best of them and he's going to keep getting up, you know, and, and that's just evident. That's not just this year. Uh, he's not just all of a sudden just gotten tough. That, that dates back to his rookie year. Right. And, 
I, th- I, I believe it was his rookie year. Yeah, the mic'd up against game. the Cleveland. It's mic'd up. Uh, NFL I mean, Films has just, it, man. And so it's just not, it's not fake, right? And it never gets old watching that. And um, yeah, it's it's a prerequisite to uh, to be tough and and be a you know a quarterback in this league. It's that's just part of it. But he just takes that to another level, a level that it's in my opinion unmatched. Yeah, and then you had the running back Kyron. I'm just going to hit on him because we've hit the other names, and obviously the offensive line all stepped up this year. But Kyron Williams, I think the stat was he had the third most rushing yards like in the history of the sport for a guy who's missed five games. There was some wild stat about just how good he was this season historically. And before the year, I don't know if anyone drafted him in their fantasy football league. Right. <laughs> no, uh, he's, he's just another guy that again, he, he got cut short a little a year ago, right? He, he was battling some injuries and stuff like that. He's a guy that I know less than Sean, pinpointed that hey this is a ram you know when they when they took him in the draft in terms of his toughness in terms of his maturity so he kind of fits in that same mold i was saying of of puka where he just comes to work and he's ready to work every single day and so what he does on sunday really isn't that big to us because that's what he does wednesday through friday when he's out on that practice field he's just showing up every single day he's such an enjoyable guy to be around he's a guy that, that again kind of like matthew you you want to do your best for him as a coach, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he had a, he had a magical run this year. And I think that's his standard. I think that's, uh, I know that's how he's going to approach it, you know, moving forward. I think the Rams are in a very good place. I've, uh, you know, I had Kevin Demoff, the team president on last week, cause he was talking about the Jared Goff trade and the Stafford trade and going through it all. And he went through some of those defensive names and then the offensive players. And I, I just love the way the story went this year. You guys, you know, kind of written off by everyone before this season. And by the end of the year, I think you guys were one of the top five, six teams in the league. And if things go a different way, if you make one more play, if you get one call that goes differently, probably still playing today and the team that nobody wants to face. I would just say congratulations to you as a first year coordinator with this team, taking that offense to new heights. It was really awesome, dude. Yeah, I appreciate it. Didn't, uh, didn't plan on on being uh, you know in, in my house right here on a Tuesday. I was hoping to uh, keep this thing going, uh, like you just said. I mean, it's credit to Detroit. That was what what a great game that was. Isn't that cool? Um, and it's it was it was and it was an incredible atmosphere. Uh, had a lot of you know all my family basically still lives in Michigan, so we had a lot of a lot of Rams fans there that uh, you know uh, just had to make the drive over from Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo, but. Um, you know, hey, when you when you don't score touchdowns in in the red zone, uh, that kind of was the story. We were over three in the red zone. We were we were fourth in the league going into you know playoffs, but none of that stuff matters if you don't get it done on that on that day. And and uh, I thought our guys played great. They played tough. They they were in the fight all day. And and you know they made one more play than we did. You know me, I'm watching it, and Stafford's throwing for 362, and Nakua's got nine categories, and they had that red zone shot to cup, and I'm like, that that's nine out of ten times, Stafford to cup, that's, that's yeah, usually, yeah. and I know it's killing you, I'm sure it's killing you, and I'm just watching on my couch, but I'm like, that's how close this game was, it was the razor's edge, and I don't want you to spend all offseason thinking about what could have been, I want you to at least appreciate how great you guys had, had it going on, because you guys were dialed in. It's a it's a fresh wound right now, so we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see. It's, uh, Leave it to me to bring it up. Um, <laughs> all right. So we always talk about that 2013 Washington staff, which included your brother and McVeigh and McDaniel. But like, I look at that 2019 49ers staff, and I'm like, you want to talk about today's coaches and all those guys? Can you go through some of the colleagues you had on that 2019 49ers Super Bowl team that was just in the coaching staff alone? Because you look around the league, it's everyone doing huge things right now. Yeah, it's uh, it was a really cool staff. Kyle, you know, um, gets a ton of credit and, and credit deserved for being just 
so good schematically, right? Getting guys open, getting his guys, um, getting his best players the ball with space. But the thing that I think he does best is he has an eye for coaching talent and just obviously player talent. He's incredible at it. He, he knows what he wants from both sides. And, uh, you know, we, we were the same staff in 19, basically outside of Kacarek, who we brought in in 19, who was a huge, huge, you know, reason why that D-line does what it does. But in 18, we were coaching the, the senior bowl, you know, and, yeah. uh, and and didn't have the year that we wanted. It was still all the same coaches and credit to, to John Lynch and, and Kyle for, for, you know, just being great leaders and keeping us on the right path. Obviously, you know, you had Mike McDaniel, who's doing great things. I just said Kacarek, who's who's arguably the best in, in the business at, at D-line. Uh, Sala, who is, you know, an incredible defensive coach uh, and, and great friend. Um, you know, Bobby Slowick was a uh, was a QC on defense for the first two years. Kyle said, I don't want to waste him on defense. Let's bring him over to offense. He's got too good of a brain to be wasted on the defensive <laughs> side. Uh, so he stole him from Sala, who, who didn't love that. And brought him over. What about D'Amico Ryan? You know, <laughs> I mean, who, let's who keep going. Just an incredible, incredible. Um, again, you know, I, he's an incredible coach, but he's even a better person and leader. Um, and and not surprised. Seriously, not surprised at all at what he's doing. It just was a matter of time. And what a cool fit for him too. Going back to Houston, uh, I, I would say that's probably the fairy tale. You know, for him to 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 be back there. Um, just a, a lot of really, really. Good, good coaches, but but better, better humans for sure. I love it. Uh, all right, so this week you're kind of torn. You've got your brother. You've got your former, you know, colleague. Obviously, I would imagine your heart lies with with blood, and you're going with Green Bay on this one. But their relationship, having watched it from a from a close vantage point, I think it's so interesting. Obviously, they've had already huge battles in the playoffs and regular season. And of course, Kyle's got the best of Matt sometimes. Matt's gotten the best of Kyle sometimes. Uh, the dynamic between Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan from little brother and ex-colleague, uh, what, what's your vantage point on it? Um, just respect. You know, I, I think uh, they they have so much respect for each other. Uh, they obviously, you know, worked, uh, you know, for quite a few years together, starting in Houston when Kyle was a, a very, very young offensive coordinator and obviously really good already. And then, then for him to bring him to Washington, they had the one year where um, – you know, they all got let go in 13, as we all know. And then 14, they separated for a year. Kyle went to uh, Cleveland. That's where I met up with them. And Matt went to Notre Dame and then able to have the two years in, in Atlanta together. And and what a what an incredible two years that was in 15 and 16. Obviously, didn't finish that one the way we wanted. But but again, nonetheless, um, they're both uh, both incredible coaches. They're both incredible people, very different people, uh, you know, so it's um it's going to be it's going to be a fun one up there. No one expected Green Bay to be where they're at. Everyone expected San Francisco to be where they're at for obvious reasons. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think they're both playing their best ball at the, at the right time. And it's going to be fun. You've had a chance to watch from afar Jordan Love's maturation and development this year. Obviously, your brother's been living with it for years, having him on the bench with Rodgers there and then finding a way to get some time to devote to Love. I think right now, now that Stafford's been eliminated, now that Dak's been out of here, I could argue that no quarterback in the NFC is playing better than Jordan Love right now. You've had a chance to watch from afar, obviously, but you're you're in those conversations. Jordan Love, as you look at him as an opposing coach, what's your take on his development and how far he's come? He just he 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 looks like he just not looks. He has just great command out there. It, it, you can just tell it's the game has slowed down for him so much, and that's a 
that's a fun spot to be as a player and let alone a quarterback, you know? And so you, you've been able to see it, not just from week one to now, but, but really kind of somewhere in that mid, you know, middle part of the year, it felt like it started when we, we played them in early November, right before our bye week where you could just, you could feel that it, it just was starting to look right. And then uh, I know when we were on the bye, I was able to watch the, the uh, Green Bay Steelers game, you know, live because you don't get to see many games live, yeah. obviously, because you're preparing for your own. And it, it, they didn't win, but it looked right on offense. It, huh. it just and it, see and, that's and, interesting because everyone circled that game and was like, "That's the end of the steel, the end of the Packers season." Like they lost to the Steelers, it's over. And yet you saw it, and you're like, "Wait a second, I see something here." It, it looked right. It, it looked right from you could tell Matt was calling it in an aggressive way. And um, usually, when the play callers being aggressive, it's because he has so much trust in all his players, but but more importantly, his quarterback. And um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. If you ask him, is is Matt trusts him because Jordan's playing that way and he's playing aggressive and he's playing smart. And, uh, it's been, uh, it's been cool to watch. And I know, I know, and Matt's been on record. I don't know Jordan. I've talked to him probably once, but he's, um, I know Matt really roots for the human. He, yeah. he, he he's, but so he really likes the guy, you know, and, and the teammates really like the guy. And so that's, what's, that's, what's really been cool to, to see from afar. It's really neat. That whole story of the Packers, they're so young. So, here we have all these established teams. Packers are the youngest team to ever win a playoff game. Your, your brother takes a whole different crew of guys on offense and overnight almost packaged them together. And here we are, they're sizzling. When you were talking to Matt over the summer, did did you think he had an idea that there was a shot that Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed would be leading them to the divisional round? I, it, I'll be honest. It seems like every week there's new guys out there. I don't even know like, where some of them, like, like Bo Melton showed up in week 17 and is now like a go-to guy. Right. And, and whoever's out there, it's just working, you know, and that's kind of what I mean where it just, uh, it just looks right. You know, it's, it, it looks uh, like a, just a well-constructed, well-orchestrated. And again, that, you know, a lot of credit to Matt and the coaches, no doubt, but, but quarterback is is in command out there and, he, and he's comfortable and everyone else is following suit really really cool to watch i say with great confidence that i believe and you don't have to be bashful i believe you'll be a head coach in the nfl at some point you know and if it's not getting interviews this year or getting a job this year it will happen for you because you're already respected as one of the best offensive minds in the game and that'll happen when you look at sean and you look at your brother and you look at kyle at Everyone always says, uh, well, they run like the Shanahan offense or whatever it is. There are different intricacies between the three though, right? And you you could spot them out. You can identify like, here's what this one does better than the other. Here's what makes this one unique from this one. You've had a chance to obviously be with those guys for many, many years in conversations, both in the building and I'm sure, uh, you know, at a dinner table or at a bar or wherever you guys are hanging in the off season. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... You could say that the nuts and bolts of the offenses are, are, you know, similar, you know, in some aspects, but they all go within their own personality, you know, and I, it, we could talk for three hours about this. About I loved it. I would honestly, a, to be honest, Mike, a, I'd like to write a book on this. Like, I feel like this is like the coolest <laughs> stuff going in football right now and seeing the three offenses this year was really neat. Yeah. And then, you then throw, you know, McDaniel in there in Miami <laughs> and, and, and here, here's what I'll say that, you know, I, I feel like, let's just say those four teams is uh, it's fit to the players, you know, whatever your player skill sets are, uh, that's, that's where the offense ends up going and, and starting with the quarterback, but also the skill around it, you know? So um, because we can all run this system or whatever the system is, but if it doesn't fit with the, the, the players that you got, 
then doesn't really matter, you know? And so we fit ours in a, in a way where, Hey, we're going to use Puka's big body as yeah. a, as a fullback sometimes and Cooper's, you know, toughness and smarts as a fullback sometimes back there. Cause that's really what they are at, at, at times, which opens up the run game, which opens up the play pass and all that. So, um, again, that's probably a, a, a conversation for another day. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe somewhere here in LA on the beach yeah, yeah. or something, we can get together for a few hours and, and talk about it. Uh, Kyle, as, as like the, the, the coach who has spawned like, you know, with you and with McDaniel and of course with your older brother, uh, has Kyle's offense changed over the years? Do you see it as you study that 49ers tape saying like, well, this is a different offense than the one that I was coaching a couple of years ago. Yeah, it has, it, it's, it's evolved. And, you know, I think, uh, with, with a guy like Christian, you know, McCaffrey, they're doing a lot of things where, you know, they're not in empty, but they're they're in empty because of where Christian lines up with Sean and I call it. He's in Jumanji out there. Like he's not on the ball, but he's like outside the core five <laughs> yards off, you know? And it's like, what, 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 what is he doing? What is it, you know, something's going on over there and maybe he's a decoy. Maybe he's not, you know? And that's a guy that, again, that um, in 2017, when we went to the Stanford pro day, Kyle loved him. We all loved him, obviously. And uh, you know, it was, it, we had the, won't even get into the draft and, and how that all unfolded, but he ended up in, in, in the long run getting, them. he got there and he, and he got there, you know, and he probably got there at the right time. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's unique to watch, but yeah, that Kyle's always evolving. And, and, um, the, the, the defenses have evolved so much since the play pass days of 2015 and 16 with, with Atlanta. And even early when we first got to San Francisco, uh, people aren't letting you get over top as much anymore. And so now it's exploiting the intermediate levels of the defense. And, you know, I like to feel that we, we, we do it as well as anyone, you know, our, our kind of group of coaches. Yeah. What, what is the, what is the off season like tape for you? Is it, you study NFL, do you study college? Are you one of these guys that will go into a hole and just start learning everything around the league? Or are you more, here's what we do. Here's how we have to get better. Here's our personnel. I'm always fascinated because you talk to these coaches and a lot of you guys on the offensive side of the ball, it's, Hey, did you see what Eastern Kentucky did this year? Or it's, <laughs> did you see what they do out in Boise state? You know, it's, it's interesting. And I know that some people curate that stuff online, but we as fans and me in the media, like I don't necessarily have that same knows for it as the coaching stat world does. What do you do over the off season to get better and hone your skills? Yeah, unfortunately the off season is here, you know, and um, it was, you know, last year getting here because again, it's, it's not the offense we ran in New York or it's not San Francisco. I had, I had to learn this system, you know, and what the intricacies of, of this one is. And so there was less studying last year on other teams. It was more, okay, what do we got? And, you know, here's what we did and let's, let's mold it to the 2013 Rams or 2023 Rams, excuse me. Um, and so that's what we did. And now this year you get to, you get to go out again and Hey, we got this system. Okay. Now what can we incorporate? What's the the trends and flows of, of the league and the defenses and stuff like that? If we hadn't picked up on it from just our weekly game plan. And so uh, that, that'll be fun, you know, as far as like the college and stuff like that you study so many of these guys coming out of the draft that you inevitably are watching their schemes too. And so, some of them you did, I mean, you're like, what is going on here? You know, and it's, it's unique. It's cool. It's a whole different game, the college game and a lot of respect for, for what they're doing it, but it's, it's like foreign. Uh, it doesn't even feel like the same game yeah. half the time, but, but that's where, that's where I know me personally, that's where you, you know, if there's something schematically that someone's doing, I'm not watching a team per se, I'm watching the players and then, Hey, that's kind of cool. And, 
will it fit? I don't know. You know, you just kind of use your own brain there and, and you go from there. But um, that's kind of the process of, w- of what will happen up until when the players get back. You know, my relationship with McVeigh, I'm not in the building every day, but we're just friends and we've been friends for years and I respect his coaching ability. What What did you learn from Sean McVeigh? What did you see this year working for him? So much. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's asked me, he goes, did you expect it to be like this? And I don't know what I expected. I just expected to come into a place where you're going to work with really good people and, and start from the top, our ownership. Um, uh, they're, they're awesome. That, that the LA Rams building is so cool because it's, it's just ball, it's ball and good people, you know, and, and it was, uh, it was extremely refreshing. It's so fun to go to work every day because of, because of that building and less and Sean, um, he, Sean is, is demanding. He gets the most out of these guys. Um, you know, he's extremely urgent. It, it, like I've, I've told him, our walkthroughs are the first walkthrough I was a part of in, in phase two back in April or May, whenever it was, I go, that's the best walkthrough I've ever been a part of <laughs> Yes, the first one. And it just was and because, and, and it's the players didn't know any better. That's just what they do here, you know, and that's the culture he set up and, and there's, there's never any issues, you know? So he's got, um, he's got full command of this thing. Uh, he's such a great leader. He's such a great person. It's obviously a good X and O's coach, no doubt, but there's so much more that goes into it, uh, that people don't see in terms of, you know, obviously the leadership and and the relationships he has with these guys. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it was really cool. I I don't know what happened here in the past. Obviously I just know they won a lot of football games. Uh, but, but I know he's having a lot of fun and, and that's, uh, that's cool. That's really cool for, for, for me. And I think all the other coaches to watch him having fun and and really enjoying this thing. What would you learn from Kyle? What was your big takeaway from Kyle? When you say, I'm going to take this on to all my next jobs. Like when you think of Kyle Shanahan, what's, what's the big, the big, uh, give me that. I'm going to bring that with me. Yeah. It's kind of in that same mold of, of like this league doesn't wait for you. You know, uh, you you better be urgent, you know, and, and everything you do from a coaching and, and player perspective. And because, um, there's, there's 32 teams and, and, you know, everyone knows what that end goal is. He doesn't overly talk about winning or going to Super Bowls or any of that stuff. It's just, what do we got to do today to, to, to be better? And, uh, the, the, the way they practice up there, the, the, the physicality that they bring on a daily basis that, that comes to fruition on Sundays, you know, but it's not just, you know, once in a while, it's, it's just how they do things up there. So ton of respect for him is, Again, I know I'm kind of broken record with saying it, oh. but he's an incredible, Bro, he's an these incredible are, coach. These are two of the top offensive minds in the history of the sport. Like, and you've worked for both of them as their right hand men. Like, I think that's a pretty cool gig for you. And I think it's really interesting to get your insights because you have a different vantage point than us on the outside who are just like, yeah, look at this play they drew up. Yeah, no, it's the plays are, they're cool, but everyone can draw cool plays. I mean, my, my, my daughter's over here drawing out Scribbling. 11 guys. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of good. She got it from Madden. You know, let's, <laughs> let's implement it, you know, and usually it'll work with Matthew Stafford and Puka and Cooper. So, uh, but it's, there, there's so much more to this thing. And, and, um, you know, and like you said, Kyle, Kyle does it at a level that's, uh, that's awesome. And, um, you know, love him like a brother, uh, you know, so he's, uh, I, I owe a lot to him. I've got two more on like other coaches. And I think you have to understand on this podcast, it's a lot of coaches who listen. So anytime we get insights on, you know, the dynamics between them, we love it. Uh, when, when you and Mike McDaniel are both coming up with the 49ers, obviously there's the pass game coordinator, there's the run game coordinator, there was different titles. He gets the job in Miami. 
Um, did you envision him, you know, doing all this razzle dazzle and the motion stuff? And I guess now two years in, would you say you're super excited for what he's become and what he's got his offense doing? Yeah. He, he, you know, and it's like, he, he, he looks so comfortable in his role too. You know, I, I don't watch any of the hard knocks and stuff like that. I, I heard it's pretty, pretty entertaining. And, and, but, but the one thing that keeps coming out of, from those players uh, in Miami that, that are open about it is he is who he is. He, he's not trying to be someone he's not. He's going to be the same personality every single day. Um, obviously, he's done some incredible things uh, on offense there. Um, you know, and it's, it's not surprising. He, he puts a lot of time into it, almost probably, you know, too much time when you know what time he wakes up in the morning and stuff like that. But uh, he's, he's a, he's a ball guy and, and he loves it. And, and I know the players, uh, they got his back there too. Did you think his personality would work as a head coach? The big knock and her question was how is, you know, he's this like really curious thinker. He's got this long drawn out of it. And yet the players absolutely love him. But I remember coming up, they were like, I don't know if the players are gonna be able to connect with Mike McDaniel. And I would say, I don't know if that's the case. I think he actually might connect with them better because he's himself and he's authentic. He, he's authentic. That's the exact word I was going to use. He's, he's true to himself. And I mean, leaders come in all shapes and sizes. Right. And, and as long as you are who you are, you're true to yourself. You're not some, you're not trying to be someone that you're not players see that they can see through BS. I mean, they're professionals. They can see through BS at an elite level, you know, and I know Mike just goes in there and his main goal is he's very smart, obviously, but his, his main goal is to, to maximize these players. And if, if the players feel that and know that, which they do, They'll, they'll play for you, you know, they'll play hard for you and they'll, and they'll respect you. And, you know, so that's, it's been cool to watch because Mike hasn't changed. It's the same guy he was as, you know, a receiver coach in Cleveland. And, and when I first met him, when he was in Houston, um, obviously he's just gotten a little bit older and, uh, you know, it's, um, not surprising at all. And there's Mostert, your former player having 21 touchdowns as a Miami dolphin. And you're like, yeah, I could see that. Totally. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> It, 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 what a what a cool story for him. Uh, Gosh, you know, cut I, I five six times. I don't know. And then 2018, he obviously at the back end of the 2019 year, uh, on our way to the Super Bowl, he he statistically I, I think was the top. You know, I mean, it seemed yeah. like he was averaging about 120 a game. And, <laughs> um, but even in 18, he had some games where you know, and I remember going up to Lambo and he he played really well there, and it was just putting it kind of all together. And there he was in 19 doing that, and. You know, obviously him and Mike have a really, really close relationship, unique relationship. And uh, it's been cool to watch him, you know, over there do his thing. I had Sala on the podcast last season and he told a great story about him and Matt were roommates together, but they were living in like a one bedroom and they were eating, you know, Domino's pizza every night or might have been whatever Little Caesars, whatever the Detroit style delivery whatever, pizza whatever's is. Whatever's in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Whatever's in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, where Central Michigan was. And that like, for warm, hot meals, they would come over to your house and like you would like you and your, I guess it was your wife or your girlfriend at the time. I don't know. You guys would cook them meals and be like, I got you, even though you're the younger sibling. Um, I know how tight you are with Sala as well. What was it like working with Robert? And for Jets fans listening, obviously you're now with the Rams, but like if they're wondering like, well, what do we got in a head coach? What would you say about Sala? Uh, extremely, extremely smart. Like it, it like, he, he finds a way and yes, he, they would come over when we were in high school. It was my girlfriend at the time, obviously my wife now. And yes, they would uh, take over the TV and uh, it just was like, can you guys just get out of here so we can just do our thing? But anyway, uh, that's for another time as well. But he is the thing that Salah does so well is uh, he, he can 
he makes things very simple for, I think the players, like it's, you could tell, you know, his thought process and then he makes it where it's extremely uh, easy for the players to understand exactly what, what, what he's asking from them. And not, not just from a defense perspective, but from a team perspective, his team meetings are, are, are awesome. Uh, I know the players love it. The, the, the stories that he gives and how he ties it all together uh, with, with, you know, whatever week we're playing and, and the players that, that he has. So there's a lot of factors that go into what's going on right now. I won't even, you know, I'll get into all of them, but uh, a lot of respect for, for Robert. And, uh, you know, as long as they're not playing the Rams, you know, I, I wish them all the best, obviously. That's cool. And that's mature of you, obviously. Um, all right, real, real quick, you yourself. Uh, so your older brother is in coaching, you're in coaching. What was the LaFleur household like as kids? And was this like your destiny? Like, I don't even know. Was your pops a coach? Like, how did it come to be? It's so cool that two siblings from Grand Rapids, Michigan, is that where you guys grew up? My, or, we, grew, we grew up in Mount Pleasant. You grew up in Mount Pleasant proper. Okay, yeah. so Mount Pleasant, yeah. Michigan. How did this happen? And, and it was like, were you like football in a crib type deal? Or is this you guys just <laughs> both independently loved it? Yeah. You know, um, everyone in our family was coaches starting with, with my grandpa. He was a high school head coach at, um, mostly a, a school down in Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo and Lloyd Norks, but, but he was a, a head coach at other places as well. And so my mom obviously grew up just in and around football. And then when she went to central Michigan, my dad was there playing and obviously started dating, got married, you know, and da da da. And then my dad, once he got done playing, ended up coaching at central Michigan for 20 some odd years. And so that's what we grew up doing. You know, I got asked cause we were going into Ford field, how many Detroit lions games I went to. I went to zero growing up yeah. because my dad was coaching at central. And so we didn't know anything better than Saturdays and, and Mac football. That was before Mac was played on Monday through Friday. It was yeah. Saturday, one o'clock games. Was this was like fun. Dan, Dan Lefevre? Like who are we talking about? Like I go back with know, him, or before that. It's, it's even before that. Long before um, JJ Watt. We're talking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is uh gosh, I couldn't even give you some of the names, <laughs> but uh, Brian Pruitt and Joe Youngblood. Uh, I mean, my, Matt would actually probably be the one better because my dad got let go when I was in fifth grade. But, okay. Um, but in which uh, my brother was a senior. So he had all 18 years, you could say, of of being there on the sidelines with my dad. Just and, Chippewa and football. Chippewa football, you know, and that's it. Who was your favorite team? Michigan, Michigan? No, Central Michigan. That Hell was, yeah. That was I the, love this. That was the only team, you know, and uh, so, um, you know, and then when he got let go, he ended up being uh, the high school head coach for okay. a few years, and then an assistant and stuff like that. So never had to move. Uh, Matt and I grew up in the same house. What a blessing, then, right? Uh, As you and Matt have jumped from place to place, just pursuing a career, which is all noble and it's been great. What a cool deal that you guys grew up in the same town in a coaching life. That's unheard of. Same, same, same house, same town. Um, you know, so you had the same friends and, and, you know, like we were just saying, I, I met my wife at, in, you know, in Mount Pleasant, we started dating in junior high and, um, had a little hiccup there around eighth grade or something like that, but got back together in early high school. <laughs> that eighth grade and, dance and, was intense though. Like a lot of things happened. I mean? There's a lot of drama. Right. There's the other, yes, I get it, dude. Had to figure some things out obviously, <laughs> but, uh, we started dating again in, in high school and, um, ended up going to college together and got married and da da da, you know? So, um, her, her, her dad actually played at central Michigan when my dad was there, you know, Naturally. So, yeah, he, yeah, he was a receiver back in, in the day when they put you know, their hand in the dirt there in the 70s and 80s. So, yeah, um, it was uh, yeah, it was really cool, though. We got to be in that same house. And ironically, Matt finally moved them out of there a year ago. And 
you know, they're, they're obviously retired They're and you're supposed to go South and he moved them to green Bay just to have some built in babysitters. Yeah. Don't let them tell you. Anything no, no, otherwise. that's exactly why I get it, dude. I was thinking you were going to say to Naples, Florida or to Palm Springs. No, green Bay, you're coming here. You're yeah, going to help out. Like, <laughs> like I'm going, I'm supposed to go see the grandparents, but I'm not going to green Bay to go say like, you guys want to come out here, come out here. This is vacation. <laughs> uh, all right. And then you get through college and it's like, it's a no brainer or did you have, you know, I know, Everyone's got like, well, at first I was doing pharmaceutical sales sometimes. Like, did you take other lanes or was it coaching from the go? You know, so Matt always, we we both knew we were going to be coaches, obviously. And if you ask Matt, you know, uh, today, and I'd say the same thing. Like, he's like, man, if I could ever just be the quarterback coach at Central Michigan, like I've I've made it, you know, like what a cool gig that would be. And, and so that we, I mean, there was no aspirations of anything other than just trying to be the best you can be and wherever you land up make it the best you can. And, um, when I got to college, I went to a division three school in Chicago called Elmhurst Okay, and it was not state tuition and my parents were teachers. And so they made that very known and they said, Hey, if you're going to go to this school, why don't you like go into business or something or economics? I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I will pursue that. And I got through about the first two months of those classes and I called my mom. I said, I can't do this. <laughs> this isn't for me. Uh, this is not for me. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to be doing these things. So I, uh, and she goes, I was waiting for the call. Yep. And, uh, she knew. She, hey, you gave it a shot. I, I gave it a shot. And uh, I went into change it to education and knowing that, you know, I'll, I'll get my education degree and try to land on as a grad assistant somewhere, I guess, when I, I, you know, got out and never even GA'd. I got right to D- Division two school. I, I hadn't even graduated yet. And I got offered a, a job at a Division two school in a little place in Indiana. And um, What was that school? Kind of looked, looked at, it's called St. Joseph's College. Don't I look it this. up because it, it doesn't even exist Did anymore. it really? It shut down? Uh, For real? It's not just the football program. Not This the isn't Hofstra of Raheem. I mean, the whole <laughs> school just, just poof, gone. And uh, unfortunately, I had some, some buddies that were still coaching there yeah. at the time. And, you know, it, uh, they all landed on their feet and all that. But uh, so we were there for three years. That was the first three years. And uh, I don't want to say the most fun three years, but it was really fun. And isn't was, that, uh, isn't that really, amazing? You say it's fun. You're making no money. I mean, you're working none. there and it's like St. Joseph's College. And yet here you are. You were the offensive coordinator of the New York Jets and the Los Angeles Rams. We are like, that's my, my pure joy was just coaching football. You know, uh, it was, it was and, and still have incredible relationships with a lot of those guys, you know, uh, still text with them, you know, uh, all the time. We get a lot of texts from those guys on Sundays and stuff like that. Um, one of the guys we, that that's currently on the, um, New York Jets staff, Billy Vandenberg, he's a QC there. He's a, just needs an opportunity to get a position job because he'll, he'll kill it. He was, he was our quarterback there at St. Joe and he'll, he'll tell you through 10 touchdowns in a game. Uh, I think it's, I think it's still a D2, uh, D2 retired the record that, right. yeah, it was, it was pretty, and the funny part about it was, I won't go too far, but he, uh, the, the week before he didn't play very well. And I was in my mind, I was ready to bench him. It was, it was done, was to, Billy, it's not yeah, happening. He was done. He had, he had this one last op and he made the most of that op. <laughs> I love that. Uh, all right. And then your first NFL gig was where? Uh, the, the Browns in 14. Okay. So and got, who gave got, you that call? Kyle gave you that call or it was from, from who was it? Mike Pettin? How did it all work together? We ended up in Cleveland. Yeah, it was my brother calling me. I was down at Davidson and, um, we were just, we, we just finished signing day. So you're like, you could kind of breathe, you know? And, uh, we were kind of just, Lauren and I were just kind of planning our next, you know, couple months. Like, all right, we know our, 
weekends are somewhat free. There's no more recruiting, stuff like that. Uh, and then I got a call at like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night saying that I was going to Cleveland. I didn't really you understand had no choice. Going You're on. going to Cleveland. No, you're going to Cleveland. And <laughs> I thought I go and I, I thought Matt was talking about himself. I go, I, so I, I thought you were going to Notre Dame. He goes, no, you're going to Cleveland. I said, when? He goes, tomorrow morning. So I packed up my stuff, drove from Charlotte to Cleveland. And um, that was that. And then saw Kyle in the office and there we were. <laughs> and that was it. And that's, it's so crazy. So you go up there to Cleveland. It's that wild year where Kyle was there and it's Johnny Menzel at quarterback and it's Brian Hoyer, I want to say, was the other QB, yeah. right? Yep. You guys yep. start off like six and three. It's the talk of the town and then it goes kind of off the rails. But uh, uh, an opportunity to get in there <clears throat> at that junior level. What would be your advice to somebody who's starting off with an entry-level job in the NFL as far as like soaking it all in. And you were coming from Davidson, which wasn't exactly Notre Dame or Ohio State, but you'd had some coaching experience. A lot of these young uh, men and women come in straight off, you know, not having any experience at the college game. What would be your advice to them kind of getting in the NFL building? Yeah, I mean, you obviously be who you are, be true to yourself. Don't, uh, you know, you got to do your job with the best of your ability, all cliche stuff, no doubt, um, you know, but, the other thing is like kind of know your role too. like keep your mouth shut a little bit too. When, you know, like it's, you it, it all got great ideas. I'm, I'm sure Kai probably annoyed Kyle talking too much about what we were doing in college. Would you, but, would you um, be that way? Would you be like, Hey, look what we did at Davidson. Let me show you this. Play. I don't, no, no, I, <laughs> I probably did one or two times and he probably looks back at that, but uh, I, I don't know, but uh, you know, it's, it is, it's hard to, to get your foot in the door, no doubt, you know, and but when you do, you just, Obviously, like you do anything else in life, you you go attack it and you be the best you can be and, you know, stay in your lane when, when applicable and, and then go from there. All right. Um, we're going to wrap. But before we do, I just want to hey, thank you. I, th I think you're an awesome coach in your own right. And then now you've got this this opportunity to go watch your brother play Kyle. I think they've faced in the playoffs three times so far. Right. I mean, you guys beat them. Uh, twice yeah, nice. back to back years yep. and then they went up to Lambeau and beat the Niners beat the Packers so this is one of those games where this is this this will be the third because we beat them twice in 19 in the regular season then and the playoffs. then beat him in the playoffs and yeah. then and then in 21 um after the first year in the Jets we we had uh ended up going out to Lambeau and that was that, that was, was that night game that that's when Kyle the, Kyle has Trent Williams running in motion like he's a a, a, yeah. a wide receiver and they beat they beat the Packers uh as you look at this one this is the first time where Matt's the big underdog and it's it's always been it's always been Rogers coming in um you look at this game like your brother you got to be so proud of what he's done with this group as you know they've won 14 games in regular seasons and he's been awesome and won all these games but like this has been a really cool season for your older brother it's been it's been really fun it's uh and I know he is I don't know if he's having the most fun he's ever had but it, it sure seems like he's you know just absolutely loving going into work every day with these guys these coaches um and like we were saying i mean it's a lot of guys stepping up they don't even know any better right i mean these all these guys that haven't played in these big games they're just out doing their thing right now and what a credit to these players and again what what jordan's done um it's it's been really fun to, to watch from afar is there a vacation after the season where the families get together and maybe you invite Sala, maybe you invite Kyle, maybe Sean McVay gets an invite this year. Like what's the hang session in the downtime and who is the crew? Yeah, it's, uh, 
last year, you know, last year was wild uh, with everything going on, but um, ended up, uh, we had a really fun one. We went to the Bahamas with uh, Raheem and Nikki and their kids who are, who are the same age as, as, uh, you know, my kids. And then obviously Matt and Bree, their two kids were down there. So we we ended up doing that. That was awesome. Um, We we always kind of get together. Sean, Sean's going to have a little bit of different options. There's a little JJ in the mix. I said, get used, get used to your house, buddy, because you're not going to be leaving there as much. You it's know? funny. So, and- McVay and Veronica used to go to Cabo right after the season, and they would go to like the the Maldives, or they'd go to the French Riviera. I'm like, you've got a four, five month old? No, buddy, enjoy, enjoy yeah. being at home, my friend, and go go find something on Netflix. I think it's going to be more like Santa Barbara trips, which again, let's, let's, not, not, act like, <laughs> let's not act like this is a you know this is a pretty cool place down here. So. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll end up getting somewhere, you know, and right now it's, we'll get there next week and, um, you know, at least it's so happy it's up at Levi's as opposed to Lambo yeah. as much as Matt would probably rather have it at Lambo. Yeah. I'm happier. It's, uh, up there. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, Michael floor. This was awesome. We're going to have you on again in the off season. We'll do a deeper dive. We'll go through everything, but I, I love that you would hop on, especially a couple days removed from what was a a heartbreaking loss, but B, like, dude, an awesome football game. And I know it's the wounds are fresh, but I think you'll be able to appreciate that in the months that come. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you having me on and uh should be a fun weekend of games, huh? All right. LaFleur versus Shanahan part four. Is that what we agreed oh, on or yeah. three? Uh, Something like that. I don't know. Four or five. We had a COVID game too, but it was everyone's just kind of it's bad. Yeah, I forget. It was a Thursday night COVID game. I remember that yeah. one. That was it. That was all right. Uh, Mike, I appreciate yeah. you, bro. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate you, man. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Aaron, what do you think of Michael Floor? Um... I love getting coaches that like can talk about the intricacies. I mean, all the coaches clearly can talk yeah. about a, a play or a player, but hearing him talk Stafford was so cool. Like the story was Puka this year. The story was Kyron. And for him to just so be so on board with Stafford and like talk about how tough he is, I love that. I love hearing good stuff about like, you know, when a coach is just all on board with a player. I think I've said that plenty of times on this show too. But No, I love that. And I love your appreciation of it. I, I think you're really good when you listen to these guys. You come right out of it and you have like the right takeaway. I think the Stafford thing was huge. I also, the 2019 uh, 49ers staff, I in my head, I'm like, oh, he's coached all these guys. So I thought it would be a good one. But what I found really interesting is like, yeah, well, a year earlier, we all coached in the Senior Bowl, which if you're not aware, yeah. is usually reserved for the first or second worst team in the NFL. So those same guys, those same young coaches who were coaching as the 31st and 32nd teams in the league, they were the same ones that we're looking at now like, wow, what a coaching staff. And to repeat what he said, it's him. Chris Kosarek, who he kind of mentioned as just like a given, you might not know his name. He's a defensive line coach for the 49ers. Think about their defensive line over the years with Bosa and Armstead and Buckner for years. And now it's Hargrave. And, and of course, you've got Chase Young. Like, they're always the most dominant. He's their defensive line coach. 
Then at in that same room was Bobby Slowick, who started off on the defensive side of the ball, then went to offensive. Bobby's now the offensive coordinator to Houston, probably going to get a head coaching job this year. Mike McDaniel, D'Amico Ryans, Robert Sala. I want to say Wes Welker was on that staff. Uh, John Embry, who's now doing big things with with McDaniel down in Miami. Like they they have a loaded coaching staff from that 2019 uh, San Francisco 49ers team, and they've all been placed in different places and are all succeeding elsewhere. I, I love that coaching tree stuff. You know, that graphic of the 2013 Washington Redskins coaching staff, which was McDaniel and LaFleur and McVeigh and Shanahan. It's almost dated. You almost have to update it with this one as that's the new version of it. And I also love, I mean, along those lines with like them doing this, the senior bowl, I, I like to hear when coaches or players or, or GMs, whatever, have had a rough year or a rough two years and then go on and the, immediately the next year succeed. Um, and so that was a, just like, that's a cool thing too. Like you didn't, you guys talked about it. Like he was in New York and then he wasn't. All right. So if we want to be candid, he got fired in New York and kind of was the scapegoat. Like, and Salah's one of his best friends and the whole thing was really awkward. And then it almost was seamless because they brought in Rogers who then brought in his own guy. And it's like, well, Mike, you know, it's better off with Sean McVay anyway, but like, it sucks to get fired and we didn't hit on it. Maybe I should have hit on it. I was I don't think the conversation was going that place, but like, that's the dark side of coaching. Yeah, the Jets offense wasn't great last two years. He also had a rookie quarterback in Zach Wilson and then a second-year quarterback in Zach Wilson, who I think we see my, Zach Wilson now. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a starter anywhere in the league next year. So a lot of things could be said about his time in New York. But, all right, McVay said, I believe everyone who's coached with you thinks you're the guy. And I think their offense was awesome this year. And he's being humble, but Michael Flora is very responsible for what that offense was. And I don't know if Puka Nakua has the greatest rookie wide receiver season ever if the offensive coordinator isn't dialing it up and giving him the confidence to to be that guy. And him saying, you know, I think you, you asked, you know, like, was it the intention to get Puka 20 targets in week two kind of thing? And it was like, no, you know, if we're if we're doing everything right, we're not forcing it to anybody, but great players are going to get the ball and we're going to make, and you just rattled off. Like we're going to get two to the ball. We're going to get Kyron to the ball. And like he, these were weapons that they had last other than Puka. And I guess Kyron, cause he was injured last year. These were weapons that were already on the team last year and we're not making huge waves. And then he comes in and now all of a sudden the Rams offense was were world beaters on a down year yeah, for right? Cooper cup too. Like yeah. that was, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was awesome. All right. I'm going to quickly write. Is there anything else NFL wise as we head towards a, an awesome divisional round week you want to hit? Like, I'm trying to think if there's anything. We started off in the in the monologue and I don't know. I, I just, I, this is my real favorite weekend. I could smile and talk about it on Good Morning Football, how much I love Wild Card Weekend. I do, but this is where the big dogs come out. Those one seeds come out and it's almost like the Royal Rumble where, all right, who's next into the ring? Oh, shit. Those guys are still around. The Niners and the Ravens, who are by far the two best teams all all season long, they're going to be uh, hosting playoff games against the Packers and the Texans, respectively. I might go to Baltimore, and this is like who cares? But I wouldn't be working. Um, I'd be going. I don't. I don't have the Fox pregame show this weekend, and I Baltimore's a train ride away. And I, as sick as I am, I kind of want to see the Ravens in person either this week or if they win, maybe the AFC championship game if I'm not working for Fox that week, because I want to take my son to see Lamar in person. It's his favorite player. So I might, I might be in the building. It might be too cold. I might just watch it on my couch, which is fine. Yeah. Um, speaking of too cold, I mean, we had a, a snow game in Buffalo 
yesterday. We're yeah. going to have another snow game probably this weekend there. Um, shout out to my uncle who was in the stands wearing a, an electric heated jacket to, to stay warm Hell for the yeah. whole thing. What's your uncle's name? Neil. Neil. Neil Kaufman. And he was, uh, you know, we, we, uh, when I was up in Maine with my dad, we FaceTimed with him after a couple of the games and he was there last night. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have to talk about the, the Bills game. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited. They did, they did really well. Love seeing that, that Shakir touchdown and Kincaid playing well. Oh, it's great. They're injured though. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, that's every defense. week you could say that. So, um, you know, I it's know. nothing new. Um, shout out to Neil. Uh, shout out to the fact that that game's in Buffalo. I can't wait to watch that one. That's on Sunday night. Aaron, would you go to that Sunday night in Buffalo? Would that be interesting to you or no? If I went to Saturday in Baltimore, would you go to Sunday in Buffalo? No uh, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. I'm not on my, not, I don't, would, would you, <laughs> See, you would attend, of course. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? Okay. I mean, other than like having to get there. Yeah, that's the only thing. All right. Maybe we make that happen. I, I, you know, I have not been to a Bills game since. But I what was do you a need child. from me? You need what? Like, you need me to help you with a credential, and then you need me to buy a flight. And like, what do we need the NFL to do here? Because I think that would be great first yeah. person experience. I think I need. Um, I would also probably need Devito's agent's uh, walk-in closet. Uh, I want uh, a room full of suits. <laughs> By the and way, top hats. <laughs> off topic. Ify Melafonwu is one of these defensive backs for the Lions. He's making plays all over the place. His agent is Sean Stellato. Stellato posted a photo of himself in like a royal blue suit, all lions <laughs> out. He's still doing it. You know, F the haters. Stellato's now, forget DeVito, he's on to Ify Melifonwu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, as we all celebrated, uh, you know, Tommy DeVito's mature decision to move on to a different marketing agent, I don't exactly see Tommy DeVito at the Met Gala, by the way. I think I think DeVito did a, did a fine job with marketing with Sean Stellato. They got some things done. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was uh, a great moment in a season that's had a ton of really good quarterback moments. And, you know, like you were saying earlier, we now have the CJ Stroud, the Jordan Love stories. Um, uh, we move on. Yeah. Yeah. We move on. Uh, let's go to the season with Peter Schrager delivering results presented by Uber Eats. It's time for delivering results presented by Uber Eats. I'm going to give a player an award for who delivered the most this past week. And I'm going to give it to Jordan Love. I thought Jordan Love was amazing. Absolutely ripped apart the Dallas Cowboys. They were big underdogs, seven seed, and Love looks like the best quarterback in football right now. He's got a big task ahead going up against San Francisco in their defense this weekend, but after seeing what he did to Dallas, I have no doubt that he has what it takes to get it done. They just need to put it all together this weekend. Jordan Love, uh, truly awesome story this season. They were two and five at one point. They were three and six at one point, and now they're knocking on the door to the NFC Championship game. Jordan Love is our winner of the Delivering Results Award presented by Uber Eats. That was Delivering Results presented by Uber Eats, where you can get almost almost anything. The official on-demand delivery partner of the NFL. Order now. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. By that time, maybe Belichick's coaching. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagles or the Atlanta Falcons, maybe Jim Harbaugh's coaching the Chargers or maybe Pete Carroll's coaching a CFL team. I have no idea. We, we don't know what it's going to be. Hopefully we'll get some more clarity, but we will be down to our final four and then it's championship weekend. Cannot wait. It's football season. On behalf of Aaron Juan Kaufman, Jason English, and oh, by the way, <laughs> real quick, we're going to leave this in. To our two producers out on the West Coast, good guys, Matt Schneider and Jason Kleinman. They are Arizona Bear, uh, Wildcat diehards. Uh, sorry about Jed Fish. 
I, I think the Jed Fish to Washington move uh, is not looked w- wonderfully upon by the Arizona Wildcat fans. I think on Friday, Jed said he's not going anywhere. Then on Saturday, accepted a $55 million deal to go work for the University of Washington. We take a lot of pride in that we helped put Jed on the map a little bit nationally with his interview in August. He went and had an amazing season. And now he's a lot richer than all of us combined and is a lot more successful. And hopefully he'll come on the podcast again, but he will not be coaching the Arizona Wildcats. And I apologize for that to our two producers, Matt and Jason, who are great guys. They're on the West Coast. Sorry, boys. Um, Also, I want to thank everyone uh, else involved who does uh, the stuff here on the podcast. We've had fun this season. Can't complain. It's been great. Um, Till next week, the season with Peter Schrager. The Season with Peter Schrager is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.